Thank you, Sarah. Um, yeah, it's lovely to be here. There's a sense, um, as we were just praying with the team um, just a few minutes ago, of just being back home. And it's how I feel every time I come here, just um, being back home and the sense of real safety. And during worship, I felt like God was saying, you're in good company because you're in God company. And just this sense that God is just um, so richly blessed this church and he's in our midst. We're in God company. We're in good company. So I hope that um, what I have to share um, will be a blessing to you all and that in the safety of this place, you might dare to take a step out of your comfort zone in order to receive all that God has for you. So when I um, accepted uh, the invitation to to speak, which didn't take long, I was really delighted. Um, I didn't have a lot lot happening in my calendar, but I was so excited to be able to be part of this um, this refresh series on feasting. And um, and yet the, yesterday, as I was just uh, going through my notes, I just thought I, I will be here today with a sense of obligation in terms of. I'd made a commitment and therefore I needed to honour that commitment and turn up hopefully with something prepared. But I also felt God say that cannot be your only motivation and of course it isn't. And I don't know um, what was your motivation for coming this morning. It might have been obligation, it might have been curiosity, it might be desire. But my prayer is that regardless of our motivation for being here this morning that we might experience the power and the presence of God. And that is, that is what um, is burning deep within me, is that as I speak the words of God, we might experience each of us encounter the living God in a new way. So um, Jesus told us, didn't he? He obviously believed in us, believed that we would uh, go on to do greater things. He sent us out saying, heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, now freely give, go. So he had high hopes for us. And today we are looking at the launch of his Signs and Wonders Supernatural Ministry. We're going to be looking at the story of uh, that time where he turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And uh, Guy and I uh, were um, attending a wedding just a few weeks ago. And it was the most beautiful wedding venue I have ever been to. Uh, we were so looked after. We sat down for our meal and it was just stunning. And we had uh, several waiters around our table just stood there overseeing. <laughs> and uh, I'd not experienced anything quite like that before. And I was trying to remember all my manners and uh, etiquette. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are table plans at weddings, aren't there? And this can also be a source of unease for some guests. <laughs> And uh, a few people hadn't turned up on our table, so there were a couple of spaces free. Uh, meanwhile, there were some other guests who had seen where they were sitting and for one reason or another had decided that they wouldn't sit at their set table. They had noticed that there were seats on our table and they came and joined us. Now, what my new friend, my new meat-eating friend, didn't realise is that he had sat in a vegetarian spot. And so... <laughs> And so whilst all of us were enjoying steak, <laughs> he had a lovely salad, a small salad. with It looked lovely, but um, it was just amusing just seeing this unfold. 
course after course after course. Um, and eventually, I think it was just too much for him, and he said to the waiter, I am not a vegetarian. <laughs> and the waiter was so upset because the seating plan had changed, which meant that the people uh, on the other table had had the wrong meals, and it was just, just awful. However, we're looking at a slightly different crisis today. If you have Bibles on your table and you want to follow, um, we're going to be looking at John 2, verses 1 through to 11. If you prefer just to listen, I'm going to just read out this account from the NIV. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to, I usually do this at the end, but I want to just throw out a couple of questions to ponder on as we look into this story a bit more. The first is, do we trust Jesus enough to relinquish control of our crisis, circumstance, or loved ones? And the second question is, do we trust Jesus enough to do what he instructs us, despite the risk, embarrassment, or perceived foolishness of it? There's no... um, We can't overlook this um, conversation between mother and son. I have three sons, and if one of them turned around to me and said, woman, what has that got to do with me? I think that there would be um, quite a different reaction. So we're going to look at this um, encounter between mother and son, between Mary and Jesus. But before we do, before we look at that interaction, I wanted to spend a minute just considering Mary. She's at a wedding with her 30-odd-year-old son. But 30-odd years earlier, she was just a teenager. I have a 13-year-old daughter, and Mary would have been just maybe a couple of years older than her when out of the blue, an angel of the Lord appears to her. It would have been utterly terrifying. And not only that, the angel then says, you're going to find yourself to be pregnant, you're going to have a son, You're going to name him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. He will take the throne of David. He will reign forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's that's quite something. That's quite something to encounter. 
And then later, the angels had a similar experience in the... um, Sorry, the shepherds had a similar experience in that the angels appeared to them and said, you're going to find Jesus. He is the saviour of the world. He is Christ the Lord. And, of course, the shepherds do eventually find Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And they see and they hear the angels and they go off and they believe. And what we read is that they went on and they shared the news. They shared the news of what they saw and what they heard. Mary, however, didn't. She treasured these truths in her heart and she pondered on them. And I think about um, just how much Mary had to, how much of her life she spent waiting. You know, the waiting in expectancy during her pregnancy, waiting with fear and trepidation, not knowing. And then waiting to see this baby who she had just delivered reveal his glory to come in and identify himself to the world as the son of God. And I just, uh, as a mum, you know, there are moments, I was going to say far and few between, but they are often, where you see your children just sleeping and you just kiss them and you thank God for them. And she would have kissed the Messiah, the saviour of the world, night after night and just looked at this baby. I'm just like, Lord, why me? How was it that I got to be his mum? And then she raised Jesus. And, um, and she treasured his true identity in her heart. And here she is 30 years later at a wedding. And she points out that there's a crisis, that there's no more wine. And I was just thinking about Mary being with some of her friends outside the temple or sharing a coffee or whatever they might have drunk together. And them saying to Mary, you know... We really like Jesus. He's a good lad. You know, he doesn't seem to get a lot wrong, doesn't get anything wrong, in fact. And, um, you know, he's, he's lovely. But this whole Messiah, Son of God thing, oh, you know, we're not really seeing a lot of evidence. And Mary knows the true identity of Jesus. She knows that he is going to be glorified. And I wonder how impatient she was just in those years of waiting, like seeing opportunities where Jesus could step in and practice the supernatural, and he doesn't. And so I wonder if at the wedding she's actually elbowing him and going, you know, Jesus, why don't you just try the supernatural? Just just practice it. Give it a go. Um, but what happens is really significant. His response is, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. We know that Jesus is without sin. So he wasn't being rude or disrespectful, but he was being abrupt and he was being direct for a reason. And I think it's really important that we don't overlook this or say that it was culturally acceptable for him to call her woman. There's a reason why, why he used that language. The wedding here at Cana is where God, where God chose to display his glory through Jesus. And Jesus is making it really clear in his interaction with his mother that he is now coming under the authority of God and that he only operates under the authority of God. He only does what he sees the father doing. And that no one else, not even mother or father, brother or sister, will influence or dictate or command his actions. It's really significant that we, we understand this because the miracle that is to follow is because God ordained it and that Jesus was being obedient to God and not to his mother. But I also just sense that as he 
looks his mum in the eye and he says this, that there's a tenderness because he knows that his mother knows his true identity and he also knows that she knows there's going to be a moment of great pain. And so when he looks at her and he says, the hour has not yet come, that must be tinged with deep heartache because he knows what his mum is going to have to endure. But Mary submits to his authority, and so this is where everything changes. And she says to the servants, do everything that Jesus tells you to do. So why does Jesus turn the water into wine? Why was it important for him to say that to her if he was just going to go on and solve the problem anyway? This is what was so confusing when I first read this a few years ago in detail. If Jesus was going to go on and sort out the problem, why did he need to confront his mum like that? Well, for reasons that I've just explained, he's now establishing his authority and who he operates under. So why was it necessary for him to turn the water into wine? Some commentators say that he was saving the bridegroom in whom it was his responsibility to provide enough wine. He was saving the bridegroom of embarrassment. But I read something really um, really significant, really powerful, and I want to share it with you, that Jesus never did anything so profound for matters so insignificant. Jesus never did anything so profound for matters so insignificant. I don't believe that he was just sparing the bridegroom of unease and embarrassment. Whilst Jesus looks at his mum and he says, my hour is not yet here, it hasn't come. He takes this opportunity to point the eyes of the guests to what is coming. Jesus was obedient and he only did what he saw the Father doing. And he had to do something incredible and this was the moment where he was being launched into his supernatural ministry. And so he does the impossible and he turns the water into wine. But even that is very symbolic. The jars that were there, the six jars, they were there for cleansing. They were for purification. The guests would come and wash their hands. Sinful hands were immersed into that water. And they would have um, washed themselves and purified themselves before entering the wedding and before eating. And Jesus took that which was uh, made for the purification of sins by man and he turned it into something totally different he changed the essence of the water and it symbolized the blood the blood that he was going to shed for the purification of sins it symbolizes that man's effort to find righteousness with god will fail and he was pointing the eyes of the guests to something that was yet to come that would never ever fail and it's significant that the water when the servants filled up the jars they filled them up to the top when Jesus died on the cross his blood covered all sin all our sin has been covered and it also points to the abundance of God the Father it's claimed that 1,000 bottles of red wine would have been filled with the, uh, with the changing of water to wine.
I love that the master of the ceremony, the master of the banquet, says to the bridegroom, you have saved the the best to last. It had nothing to do with the bridegroom, of course. It was his fault that there wasn't enough. But isn't that true of God's saving plan, that he saved the best to last? That Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. There is no one else or nothing else. There's no other law that will supersede the grace that is found in Jesus. But I also just want to spend a minute looking at some of the characters that are often overlooked in this story. One of the second question I posed was, do we trust Jesus enough to do what he instructs despite the risk, embarrassment or perceived foolishness of him? The servants in this story were told to take a cup, to go to water that was not clean, where dirty hands had been washed, to place their cup to fill it up and then take it over to the master of the banquet to drink and they were commanded to do this by another guest Jesus who as far as they were concerned had no authority to tell them what to do yet there was something in the words of Mary to them do what Jesus tells you to do that I think displayed the authority that they were now coming under that they too were coming under the authority of Jesus. But they still had to do it. They had a choice. And I don't know whether, um, I don't know what the risks or, or the um, consequences would have been for doing that, but they were caught up because of their obedience. They were caught up in the miracle. And I wonder whether, as they placed the cup into what was water, that it changed to wine. I wonder if it was as they crossed the room, the glass just starts to go from clear to red. Or is it as the master of the banquet takes the cup of water and brings it to his lips that they suddenly notice there's red liquid going into his mouth? The best wine that he had tasted. And they had those front row seats in that first miracle. They got to see it because they were prepared to be obedient in spite of what appeared to be very foolish In John 1, 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking of Jesus. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16, it says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. The reality of this glorious outworking this glorious first miracle is that the disciples saw they got to see and they believed the servants got to see we don't know if they believed it just says the disciples did I'd like to think they believed but something even more special that isn't contained in in the notes in John about this story is that Mary was there Mary who had waited and waited and waited for the glory of God to be revealed through her son, got to see the launch of his supernatural ministry. And in spite of maybe her impatience or her motive to to have Jesus sort out this problem of the lack of wine, God in his kindness made sure that she got to see it, that she got to be there as his mother. And I just would love to have seen her face in that moment when her son is 
completely revealed to those that, that chose in obedience to follow him. And she got caught up in that. And it, not only that, it was a wedding. It was totally appropriate for her to celebrate. She probably had her own little party somewhere on her own with lots of wine. But isn't that amazing that, that God in his kindness wouldn't overlook the desires of a mother to see her child glorified? Um, during worship, I just um, felt God remind me of the wedding that I that Guy and I went to that I mentioned um, just a few minutes ago. I felt that um, the name of this group is very prophetic, that it would be a place where we are refreshed, where you come and you experience the refreshment that only God can bring to, to body and mind and emotions. And he reminded me of the picture of the table that we were sat at and the waiters, and they would respond even before we could look at them or acknowledge what it was that we needed. They, they just knew. They, they weren't human. <laughs> they, things were just given to us at the right time. And, um, and I just sense that for, for some of you, um, uh, you need to know that God is very attentive to your needs today. And you might not have been able to articulate what it is that you need, but he knows. And he sends his angels to do his work. They are obedient to him. They don't carry more authority than Jesus. They are there to protect us as we minister the word of God. And uh, I just feel that for some of you, you need to know that, that God is attentive, that he's placing angels around you to do his work, to be obedient to him, but that he's going to, to provide for you the things that you need before you ask, and um, and I just I just pray that that would be a blessing. And if if that resonates with you, that there might be somebody that you could um, just invite into that into that story to pray God's blessing upon you. Um, slightly randomly, I had a sense that there is someone here with perforated eardrums. Is there anyone with perforated eardrums? Sarah. <laughs> So, um, as I said at the beginning, um, there is more to, to us being here than just being here out of obligation or curiosity or even desire that God would have, God would use this time to, to show us his power and his presence and um, say, we'll pray for your ears to be healed, Sarah. Um, and then I just want to... Um, just spend some time thinking about those two questions and how we might respond to that. Do we trust Jesus enough to relinquish control of our crisis, our circumstance, or our loved ones? Mary, out of everybody, she was the one that was justified to tell Jesus what to do as his mum. Out of everybody in that room, she's the one that would probably get away with it. And yet Jesus says no nobody and sometimes especially if we've been a christian for a long time we feel that that heritage that length of time that we have served him would give us a, a free card access into his favor or um that he might speed up answered prayers because of our 
um, the length of time that we have known him. For some of us, we might believe that if we are a son or a daughter of a Christian or a church leader or somebody in ministry, that we get a leg up. And the encouragement to everybody else in the room is, no, you don't. We can only experience the love of God when we, with our own heart and intention and choice, choose to pursue Jesus. And it's in that moment that we step into a relationship with God and we come under his authority, and then we have to take our hands off. We cannot control or coerce Jesus. We cannot control or coerce God's plans for us. We have to step back and accept that his ways are best, just as Mary did. She had to step back, and ultimately she trusted that Jesus was capable of doing what only he could do. It might be that the crisis that you're in, the loved ones that you're holding close, you feel that you are the plan. You you are the one that was sent to save them. And I was running through this talk with Guy and I sat down and I mentioned these questions to him and he said, well, what would you say in answer to that? Do you trust Jesus enough to relinquish control? I think he knew my answer, which is why he asked me the question. And I said, I think, honestly, if I've tried every other option in my own strength then I can hand over to Jesus to do the rest but often I have to go through a number of failings before I learn that lesson and my hope is that as I pursue this relationship with Jesus I wouldn't attempt anything without first giving him the control and then only doing what what is obedient but I'm human and I fail often and that is the reality And it might be the reality for you is that you're finding it difficult to to let go and to let Jesus in. And um, it would be great if if that is you, that you you might want to come forward and receive prayer. It might be that there's somebody that has come with you today that you just want to say, "I, I really need help in releasing this situation to God. And I think there's something powerful when we say that out loud and when we invite others to walk in with us, walk that journey alongside us. We become accountable because we have um, we have brothers and sisters to to check in on us, check how we're doing, and then do we trust Jesus enough to do what He instructs, despite the risk, embarrassment, or perceived foolishness of it? I wonder if God is inviting some of you into a new season, which is going to bring risk or challenge. For some of you, it might simply be actually having a relationship with Jesus seems like utter foolishness. No one in my family will understand. How am I going to explain this to my sons and daughters? But there is a part of you that really desires the thought of walking and talking with Jesus for the rest of your life, and you don't want to miss out on the the abundant blessings that, that John talks about in... Um, in John 1:16 that from the fullness of his grace we can only receive the grace of Jesus through faith in him nothing else we can't work our way it's just choosing Jesus that we receive his grace and out of the fullness of his grace we receive one blessing after another and if that's you this morning then again i would just invite you to come up and receive prayer going to invite the um the worship Alison Marion to come back up and to lead us in worship
Shall we just pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have access to read your word safely in this country. Father, what we've heard today is is gold and it's treasured. And we just thank you. We thank you for the favour that there is upon this country at the moment for us to meet here this morning and to worship you without persecution. That we we can discuss the gospel safely, that we can share our questions and that we can encounter your love and your power and your presence when we gather together. We thank you, Father God, for for this church. We thank you for what you're doing, where you're taking it, and how you're using the people in this church. The fruit that is the abundant fruit that is uh, that has come out of this church and is yet to come out of this church. We thank you for it, Lord. And Father, I thank you that you're so attentive to our needs, that you're so kind. Thank you that you know our desires. Thank you for Mary. Thank you that she got to be there at the wedding to see her son glorified. Thank you that you've placed desires in our hearts and for some of us we might discount them or we might think that they were just so small and ridiculous that they wouldn't be worthy of God's attention and and he just refutes that. It's a lie that the desires that he's placed in your heart are from him. And that he's attentive to them and, and at the right time he will call them out and that you, you would see, you would see dreams fulfilled, you'd see visions fulfilled, you'd see your sons and daughters return to Jesus for your mother and father to know the glory of God. I pray, Lord, your blessing over this church, that they would be risk takers that you wouldn't look to your circumstances or your situation, your age or mobility, and discount yourself from doing what God has called you to do. But that in this church, there would be men and women that today make a decision to step out of their comfort zones, to step out of the debate and the argument that's been going around in your heads, that as you choose Jesus, as you choose to surrender and relinquish control of your lives, that you would know um, the increased power of God And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you are here. Come and fill us, Spirit of God. There is something powerful about responding, responding to what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. If you have a... Um, if your heart is beating a little bit more than normal or you're breaking out in a cold sweat, then it might just be that God is um, speaking to you and he's wanting you to respond. As we go into a time of ministry, I just um, invite anyone that that wants to respond just to come forward. Um, I believe that there are people here who who can help uh, me in ministering. But we thank you, Father, for for what you're yet to do. Amen.